been years since we were here last at Looking, and it was November of 16 that we were here last. And last time we were here, it's probably many times before, you guys have had Brother Doyle. And um, I was sitting here singing the song, thinking about Brother Doyle, and he's doing something else or something, skipped out on us over in North Carolina in ministry or something, or so he claims or something. But uh, it's been my privilege to travel many, many times with Brother Doyle, Miss Donna, and haven't been with them in now almost year and a year and a half because they've been more than ambassador now. But it is great to be back here. My wife is here, Katie, and then I have my two oldest, Emily and Abby, and then I have four others somewhere. Um, the building's not that big, so they can't be too far away. So I have four other kids there, but it is great to be here. We have we've been looking forward to this week, and even though the sky's a little dreary today, it uh, looks like it's going to be a beautiful week. Uh, but we're looking forward to what God's going to do in our hearts and lives this week. What is revival? I know this is not the first revival in the church, and no doubt you guys have been to many, many revivals, some more than probably some more than, you, uh, than even I have, perhaps. But what is revival? You know, some churches around here, revival is this all-night camp meeting, singing, and I mean, I mean, it's exciting. Revival is like big crowds for some. Revival is just getting a lot of people saved, and no doubt those would be great, but what is revival? Revival is God working in my heart, getting me back to where I need to be. So who needs revival? I do. I know I do. Have any of you arrived spiritually, like you don't need anything else, you're, you're, you're fine, you're good, you've made it? Nobody. How many of you would be honest enough to say this morning, just with an upraised hand, Brent, there are spiritual needs in my heart and my life, and I may not even know what those are. My hand's up. Yeah. Well, good news. You're honest. God can work. So let me challenge you, as you've probably heard a time or two before, let me challenge you to be here this week for the revival meeting. Now, I realize sometimes there's work schedules, there's uh, other things that are happening, but oftentimes what happens is we don't plan on coming. I've got six kids. If I don't plan on something happening, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, you can have good intentions. Yeah, yeah, I want to make that. Yeah, yeah, I want to come. It doesn't happen because, you know, life just gets busy. So let me encourage us all in the Sunday school hour, to do our part to be here every service we can. I realize some of you may have things that are going on. Brent, I just, I can't get out of this. I can't, I get it. I get it. But we're going to do what we can as well. And I'm going to do what I can as well as a preacher to make these meetings as succinct yet meaningful as possible. Now, you know, sometimes we say, well, you know, I live away from church and the preacher's going to go long and then we're going to get home and then I can't get the kids to bed. I get all of that. We've got kids ourselves. We're going to be homeschooling during the day. To that end, we're careful with time. When I stand to speak, typically, I, it's, you know, I don't know how many preliminaries are here, going to be here this week, but typically it's 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes after the hour. I'm typically wrapping up at the top of the hour, 5, 10 minutes after. And I realize it's going to change each night. Tonight we're starting at 5 uh, through the week at 7. But my goal is to be letting out at 8, 10, 8, 15 at the latest, and sometimes even earlier than that. But I want God's people to get what they want to get, what they need to get from this week. So let me challenge you to be here. I would say, Brent, what's the dress code? I don't think I can make it because I have all these things. I don't think I can make it back to get you. It's clothes. Come. Unless you work in a septic tank, then just come on. If you do, just go home and get a shower first and then come on. But unless, unless you are providentially hindered, let me challenge you to do your part. 
Well, Brett, I don't think I can get dinner on my way in because I can't stop and make food. McDonald's works very well. And if you're really spiritual, Chick-fil-A is even better. It's God's chicken. But all that to say, let's, let's think practically. And even those parents with kids think this, even today, how am I going to get my family here this week? How am I going to work schedules out? How am I going to change things around? How are we going to clear things out? Let's, let's think through meals. Let's think through clothing. Let's think through homework, even ahead of time. So we can be in God's house with God's people to hear God's word and be challenged because of it. I have often found, and I don't always, I'm, I do this consistently, so I'm not always able to do this, but when I can get away from media, man, I find a lot more time. Um, I realize college football was yesterday, football's today, I, I get all that, but you know, when I, when I just turn that off, I find I have a lot more time on my hands. I'm not as distracted, and oftentimes I'm not as disappointed because I, I'm not dependent upon what, the joy's not dependent upon the score. But I think Vols won yesterday, so we should all be happy, right? If you're a Vanderbilt fan, you're used to it. Sorry. I don't, I don't know what Memphis did this weekend, if they played whatever. But all that to say, I'm joking aside, let's be focused. Perhaps let's take some time off of social media. Take some time off of Facebook. Um, take some time off of whatever is your poison, YouTube, whatever. And instead of going into that, um, which may not necessarily be wrong, instead of going on that this week, put a filter on your phone, block it for the week. You, there's ways to do that. Instead, take time to be in the Bible. Take time to pray. Pray for your needs. Pray for the needs of others in the church. Pray for God to work in your heart. Pray for God to work in others' hearts through this meeting. And you'll find as we do that, as we separate ourselves for revival, God will work in our hearts. Draw nigh to God, James 4, 8, and he will draw nigh to you. That's a promise. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's a promise. You and I, if we are willing to seek God, God can give personal revival, and he will give personal revival. It's a promise. Yes, the great awakenings, the stirrings of our country that I long for and pray for, that God can and perhaps will do one day. But I don't have to depend upon that. If we don't see that happen this week, we can still experience personal and corporate revival in our church. And that's our prayer. That's our goal. So let's ask God on our uh, help on our time and ask God. I know we've already prayed, but let's ask God for us to be prepared. Father, would you work in our hearts this week through this morning, the message of James, and then, this, and then later on in the morning service, would you help us to be different, to be open, to be broken, to be willing to change because of what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are in James 1, and this is a familiar passage, one which you no doubt have heard lessons and messages for, but one which is so very, very practical. James 1, look at what it says in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of god that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not and it shall be given him but let him ask in faith nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the lord a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways here, James is dealing with this very practical issue. 
James is very possibly the first book written in our New Testament. It's written to a bunch of struggling people. 10, 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus, James, the servant of God, is writing this book. Now, who is James? Anybody know? The half-brother of Jesus. You know, if I was the half-brother of Jesus, I'd say, hey, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Listen up. That's not what he says. He says, James is serving a doulos, a bond slave of Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And then he talks very pointedly about the trials, the difficulties that you're facing. How many of you are facing problems? Can I see your hand? Facing issues? Yeah. Facing challenges? How many of you have ever faced problems? How many of you think you will face problems? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to raise my hand to that, Brent, but sure, yeah. Well, hey, here's help for your problems and my problems. My brethren, look what it says there. Say those next four words with me. Count it all joy. Count it joy? And not just joy, but all joy? What kind of demented person is this James? What, <laughs> what has he been drinking, the Kool-Aid or something? Are you living a real life? He was living a real life. He was talking to real people who were hurting. And he says, number one, God has a purpose in producing genuine faith in our life, and it's called these trials. For the believer, trials are not needless disappointments or sufferings that life randomly throws at us. Rather, they are providentially designed and allowed by God to do a great work in and through us. Now, that takes a little bit of wisdom and faith to even say that. Because looking out across this crowd, I don't know everyone's backstory, and you don't know mine, but I do know this, that you have faced trials, and you face some challenges. And you will be facing, and you are facing. Aren't you encouraged already and glad they came to Sunday school? But what does James say? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, when you face different types of problems. Praise the Lord for God allowing difficulties. What should our attitude be? Joy. Praise the Lord that he is allowing difficulties into my heart and my life because they are changing me in order to make me more like the image of his son. I don't know what issues you face. I don't know what, you don't know what issues I face, but I do know this, that in every difficulty and problem and issue that you face and are facing and will face, God is using it. It's not just random. It's not as though God's up in heaven saying, I hope you make it. No, God's using it. Counted all joy. He was not asking them to rejoice in the painful experience, but rather to view their sufferings as profitable, even though they are not always enjoyable or pleasant. The attitude that James is advocating for can take all the bitterness out of even the hardest of trials. Regardless of the source of our difficulties, the world, our flesh, the devil, we can and should be glad as we go through them. Now, again, right away, that's kind of demented from the world's standpoint. If you're an unsaved unbeliever and you walk in and you hear somebody say, hey, rejoice in your trials, it makes no sense. It means absolutely nothing. But remember, God is working in everything. You know Romans 8, 28? Some of you are like, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, Brent. I don't know that I know that. And we know that some things work together for good to them that love God. Wait a minute. All? Hold on. Time out. Time out. Hold on. Family problems? Sin that was done to me or sin that I did myself? Issues? Problems? Hurts? Really? 
Yeah. And so that's why James is saying, hey, count it all joy when you face different types of problems because God is using them. I'm facing challenges in my life, praise the Lord. I'm facing difficulties in home and education and ministry and in, in, in every capacity. It seems like nothing is going right, praise the Lord. Because God is using those difficulties in your life and mine to change me into the image of his son. Count it all joy. So the attitude that we're supposed to have in trial is that we're supposed to count it joy. One author said this, most people count it all joy when they escape trials and count it all grief when they have to endure them. But James says, hey, count it all joy. Elizabeth Elliot said, the secret of joy is Christ in me not me in a different set of circumstances. And truly, when we understand that Christ is working, that Christ is doing something, that Christ is moving, and that God has not forgotten us, that he's using every challenge, every difficulty, every disappointment, every setback in your life and mine, then hey, praise the Lord, count it joy. God's working my heart and life. I just got laid off from my job, count it joy. I'm facing challenges with my family, count it joy. I'm facing financial pressure, Count it joy. I'm facing health difficulties. Count it joy. Now, again, if you're if you're not spiritually minded, this is absolutely demented in its thinking. This is like you're stupid. Why are you why are you why are you doing this? This is absolutely retarded to think like this. But remember who we serve. Remember that we're not home yet. We're just passing through. So the attitude in trials is joy. So let's ask the question, how are you viewing the trials that you're facing? Who can honestly say, and my hand goes up, I've not viewed the trials with joy recently. Would you be honest enough to say that? Yeah, my hand's up. I face some challenges and setbacks and I've wanted to get out of them and uh, been gristling and bristling at uh, or grinning and bear. But either way, it's wrong. Count it joy. It doesn't mean that we're like, happy, 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 hey, happy. No, it doesn't mean that we're like, there's people that sometimes don't live a real life. They're just like, hey, 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 and you want to slap them in Christian love, of course. It doesn't mean that we, we don't have pain. It doesn't mean that this is, it's a mind over matter. I'm just going to count it joy and pretend like, no, no, no. We're deeply feeling the hurt, the problems, the issues. But hey, here's the, here's the difference. I can count it joy because it's a settled peace knowing that God is doing something. Paul said something very similar in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, God has a purpose in the trial, and the light affliction, which is just but for a moment, worketh in us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Affliction is light. It's only for a moment. It's not, it's, it's, it's not going to last forever. So it's light, it's limited. Well, I mean, no, it doesn't seem light to me, Brent. Well, yes, it is light, because in light of what Jesus did in going to the cross, it's light. In light of what he did for us, everything I'm facing is lightweight. He did the heavy work. I'm just doing the lightweight work. And it's not even that much. It's him, him living in me. So it's light. It's limited. But not only that, it's life-changing. Paul said they work in, they're working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. And James says something very similar here. He says that the purpose of the trials, notice what it says there. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. God's using the challenges in your life and my life to produce patience. 
Praise the Lord for that. God's producing patience in our heart and our life. This important truth is critical for believers to understand. Patience has the idea of a cheerful endurance or a waiting. It's a strength that stays under. Uh, you know, metal has to be heated in order to be valuable, does it not? Does, does iron ore do anything for anybody? Not much. But what has to happen to iron ore? It has to get put into the furnace, the smelter. It has additives and stuff added to it, and that's how you were able to get here this morning to church. Because the iron, the aluminum, the, the metals, everything about your car was went through great heat and then forming processes. Did the metal particularly enjoy it? Well, the metal doesn't have a brain, but I don't, I don't doubt, I don't guess that it did. But what's happening? The metal was made usable through heat. God is using us, the trials, the challenges, to change us. Sometimes we want a easy life. We want a I just want I just want peace. I just want an easy life. And yet God says, no, 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 I'm teaching you patience. I'm teaching you perseverance. I'm using the challenges, the issues, to try to help you along this road. And that's what God is doing to your heart and my heart. He's challenging us. He's moving us. He's motivating us. If you think about Hebrews 11, just a few chapters before this, and you think about those men and women, what they endured. Was it fun? Was it easy? But God was doing something. God was changing. God was moving. No matter how unenjoyable the trial of your faith is, it's working patience, which is incredibly valuable to God. Keep your finger here in James and look over with me at 1 Peter. So three or four pages to your right. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, notice what it says here, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the, the verse is interesting. It's always, always unique. That the trial of your faith is much more precious than gold. If you had gold in a pile over here and trials in a pile over here, which one would we choose? You're laughing, but you're not answering. Which one would you choose? Gold. Why? Because it's valuable, right? You get a, what is an ounce of gold? $1,800 or something? Something like that? It's, it's expensive. It's more money than I have. The gold I own, my, wife's wear, my wife wears. That's the gold we own. So what do, you, what do you, if you had a bunch of gold and a bunch of trials, you'd obviously pick the gold, but that's our earthly person speaking. That's our earthly man speaking. Because we take our gold to heaven, God's going to be like, I don't need any more asphalt. I got plenty of it up here. What would you do with the trials? Because look again at verse 7. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. The difficulties that God is sending into your heart and my heart and my life are more precious to God than gold. The challenges that you'll face, have faced this past week, are facing, will face financially, relationally, uh, mentally, spiritually, whatever the case is. The challenges that you're facing are more important to God than gold. 
It matters more to God what you and I do with the challenge than what size house we live in or how much money we have in the bank or how well we do financially. God is more concerned with the issues that we're facing, that we're allowing into our life. And so that's why a lot of times God's people go something like this. Oh, I wish I didn't have to face this all this issue. I wish I didn't, could just get out of this problem. And that's a human response. That's normal. But James has counted all joy. Praise the Lord for the difficulty that's in our hearts and our lives. Praise the Lord for that. Count it all what? Joy. When you and I face problems and trials and issues, count it joy. That takes a little bit of spiritual understanding because we don't want to do that. We don't want to count it joy. We want to do like what the rest of the world does. This is a hard, it's not right, it's it's not fair, it's not easy, it's hard, it's challenging, it's difficult. And yet James says, count it all joy when you face different types of problems because the trial of your faith is working patience. Now look back with me at James 1. The attitude in trial, joy. The purpose in trial, patience. And that patience has the idea of a cheerful waiting and endurance. And there's more we could say about patience, but for time's sake, let's keep moving on. Look what it says there. Verse 4, but let, allow patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. How many of us, and, and I'm going to raise my hand out of honesty and just admission, how many of us have missed a lesson that we were supposed to learn? Can I see your hand? Some point in time in your life, you've missed the lesson you were supposed to learn. You're like, oh, Yeah. My sibling got in trouble for that, and I should have known that mom and dad were going to do the exact, eh, yeah, I missed it. Oh, yeah, the instructor did say that in school, and I, I missed that. So often we miss the lesson that God is trying to teach us. He, we miss the, the, the lesson that patience is trying to produce, that the trials are working in and through us. James says, let, allow, remain under. Don't press the easy button and get out of it. You know why young people should remain under hard things? It's natural for parents to want to get young men and women out of hardships and bail them out, hopefully not literally, but figuratively speaking. Why do parents want to do that? Because we love our kids. But what are we doing? We're causing them to miss the lesson that God's teaching them. And so often we do the exact same thing spiritually. Notice again what the verse says, verse number uh, five, excuse me, four. But let, allow, remain under. Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When we allow that challenge, that trial to work in our hearts, you know, God's work becomes perfect and entire. Don't press the easy button to get out. One author said it like this. There are good many things in life that we can't do anything about, but that God wants us to do something with. And oftentimes we're pushing against the unpushable, and yet God has put that unpushable in our heart and life. He's put that challenge, he's put that difficulty there because he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to work it out. He's trying to work patience into our heart. Doctors and shots are not fun, are they? And if you say you enjoy a shot, you're demented. You know, I don't enjoy going to the doctor, but sometimes they're not sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes they're necessary. The scalpel's not enjoyable, but sometimes it's necessary. 
we have got to go through difficult circumstances sometimes. And if we try to escape them, if we let that cavity grow, as much as we don't enjoy the drill, are your friends? Isn't that enjoyable? But if you let the cavity grow, it's far worse. And some of you probably can attest to that. Why is that? Because we have to allow the problems, the issues, instead of escaping them. Perfect and entire. It doesn't mean we're sinless. James is saying that you'll be mature and useful. Perfect has the idea of mature, genuine, and complete. Entire has the idea of being complete in every part and perfectly sound. And I've seen men and women who've allowed the difficulties go through their heart and life, and they haven't gotten bitter, they haven't failed grace, and Lord willing, we'll talk about that sometime this week. But they haven't failed grace, and yet they've allowed the challenges come through. And you know what I can see on the other side? A seasoned man of God or a woman of God who is perfect and entire useful, who has a ministry because of what they went through. Could it be that God is allowing you to go through challenges, difficulties, problems, issues, because he's trying to get your attention. He's like, hey, there's a ministry for you up ahead. And you've got to go through this problem to become usable in the ministry. Why does God allow things to happen like this? You know, God allows challenging times because he's perfecting us. You know, those of you who have gone on for advanced education, was it easy? Hopefully not, right? Those who are in the medical profession, it's challenging, right? You want, do you want a doctor who's 17 years old? and just got his license and doctorate off the back of a cereal box? Do you? You're not answering. Do you? No. Do you want men and women defending our country who are, again, nothing against this age, but 14, 15 years old and who have never handled a weapon? No. You want men and women defending our country who are seasoned, who have gone through the rigors of training, who have faced problems. Right? I do. I want the men who are flying planes. I want the men who are fighting the war to be seasoned, who have studied. Uh, a few months back, I was in the Philippines, and we were at the Filipino-American Cemetery in the middle of, uh, it's on the south side of Manila. And we have 30-something thousand of our men buried or remembered there. It's the largest cemetery, U.S. cemetery, outside of the United States of America. Even bigger than the ones in, the different ones in Normandy, France. Incredible. Well, I'm standing there with a group of Americans that I've taken over, and there's this van that opens the door, and you can see these burly guys. They're all in civilian clothes, but you can instantly tell they're all military. And so I go up to them and say, hey, you guys, uh, Army, Navy, Marines? I, I think I asked Marines first, and they said, oh, we're Special Forces. And they kind of looked at me kind of surprised, like, how'd you know that? It's pretty obvious, these big, buff guys who walk out civilian. And I said, where are you guys ba based at? You know, they're, they're doing something over in that part of the world, and they're stationed there for a reason, and you're thankful that they're there, hopefully, to protect our interest so we can go to bed at night. We want those men and women to have trained, right? We want our doctors to train. We want our young people to bear their burdens in their youth. We joke about ball teams, but, you know, it's very clear. If a ball team doesn't work out in the summer, if the football team doesn't work out in the summer, it's very, it shows up in the fall on Friday nights and Saturdays and even Sundays. It shows very clearly. 
And then we're really disappointed. Oh, like, what in the world? But those who endure the burden, we, we, oh, yeah, good job, great job. Well, why do we think it's any different when it comes to spiritual matters? God is working. He's using the challenges in our heart and our life to make us perfect and tired, to usable and mature. And if we don't allow the difficulties to do that in our hearts and lives, then we are shortchanging that. We're pushing that aside. We're pressing the easy button. I don't know what you have faced, are facing, and will face. But I do know this. God is using the difficulties right now in your life. And you have a choice. We have a choice. Are we going to shirk them? and Oh, man. Why am I facing this again? Or are we going to have the right attitude? Count it all joy. Count it all joy. God, I, I don't like this, but thank you for not being done with me yet. Thank you for, for putting me through trials and troubles. Thank you for, me, for showing me the, the issues I'm having in my heart and life. Thank you for making me usable, perfect, and entire. Thank you for making me more like the image of your son. That should be your attitude. God will bring every believer who endures trials rather than running from them to maturity as we persevere in them. James taught that in view of this fact, we should rejoice in our trials rather than rebelling against them. They are God's instruments for perfecting us. God is using, still using, no matter how old you are, God's using the trials of your faith and my faith to challenge us, to change us, to make us more like him. Isn't that good? So, what should we do? Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Is that what we normally do? No. We're going to stop there, but James goes on, and many of you know this passage, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. Did you know that God's a liberal? Who giveth wisdom liberally. He says, ah, oh, I'm not going to keep a break. Again, you're asking, Gallus? Come on. I just gave you some yesterday. He's not going to do that. And it says we're supposed to ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. It's like that person who just, the person who's not consistent in their walk with God. The person who's wavering. Who, yeah, when, I need God, I need God. Oh, I'm fine, I'm not going to be in church. I need God, I need God. That person's not going to get that wisdom. They're not going to have that because they can't ask in faith, but the person who consistently asks and says, God, I need, the person who consistently walks, God, I need you, that person will receive what they're asking for in this passage. James is very practical, dealing with life in the pressure cooker, as one author has said. He's dealing with the meat and potatoes, the, the shoe leather of Christianity. All of us have trials. So let me ask you to consider, what's your attitude? Are you counting it joy or are you counting it pain? Are you rebelling against them or are you praising the Lord in them? And saying, God, I don't like it. My flesh hates it, but I know you're changing me. Thank you, Lord, for working on me. Count it all what? Joy. Father, help us to count it joy. I don't know what's represented in this room this morning. I don't know the backstories, the hurt, the pain, the challenges, the abuse. We could go down the list, but you do. Would you help us to count it joy?
would every difficulty, every challenge, every issue that we're facing, would we look at it the way you do, as changing us, moving us, motivating us to be more like the image of your son, producing patience, making us perfect and entire. Help that attitude to be our own. In Jesus' name, amen.